Hello and welcome to a podcast of Jordan Haas. I'm your host, Jordan Haas. This is the last podcast of the year. Boo! Also, this will be the last podcast for a while. Boo! But also, it's a spooky episode. Boo! That's why there's boos, everyone. No, it's also the game of the year episode. Uh, when I say game of the year, it's just like a recap of my 10 favorite games. I, I don't know, really want to call it game of the year, but I mean, that's kind of what everybody calls their favorite game of the year, right? So, like, let's just leave it as that. I think game awards are usually going on right now, and all of your favorite websites and YouTube personalities are talking about their favorite games of the year. And this podcast is no exception. The only difference is I'm the one willing to tell you in advance I think award shows are busted. They're all populous, based on popular vote. Go read them. You have to get the nominations and then get the vote. So it's a popularity contest. But I'm of the firm belief that just like movies and TV shows, video games, people's changes and tastes and everything. Uh, some people don't watch soap operas, but yet they're a category in television. Some people don't watch game shows, and then I'm around just to talk about them. Uh, movies. Some people don't like horror. Some people don't like foreign films. But we still celebrate them year after year. And for that, I try to say that's why tastes change. Some people just can't go through every video game. And let's face it, they can't. Some of these games are 40 hours. They're $70. And many of these games take up so much of their time that unless they're a full-time content creator and they're playing games 24-7, they can't get through every video game. I don't think everybody went through Callisto Protocol before they're saying it. Elden Ring is also an example. And we see things like Pokemon that just came out. When is exactly the time to say you complete it before you can give your full assessment? No, you haven't played every game in the world. So therefore, everybody's tastes are different. And that's what I'm here to celebrate. And by people's changes, I mean myself. Because I'm a self-centered, egotistical maniac, I guess. But also, it's my podcast. Uh, so, what we're going to do is we're going to count down my 10 favorite games from 10 to 1 this year. To qualify for this list, it just has to come out in 2022. Free to play games do count as long as they launched in 2022. Things like Fall Guys, as much as, you know, I love playing it, does not technically count as it launched a few years ago. Although, if you want to see me play Fall Guys every day, it is available on YouTube. Look at that. Anyway, uh, so as long as a game came out this year, and I've played it, and I enjoyed it, and it's in my top 10, you'll hear about it today. For everything else, you have to head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Jordan Haas. That being said, that's it with this introduction. We're not rambling much longer. Let's go ahead and start the countdown. Number 10, Marvel Snap. 
When I first played Marvel Snap, I thought this was going to be like WWE Supercard, one of those cookie clicker games that you play for a little bit and then you get bored of because all you do is you just tap and you move on. Uh, but it's actually more of a strategy game. If you love Hearthstone, which is one of my favorite PC games ever, Marvel Snap is basically Hearthstone, but slightly better because it's easier to understand than Hearthstone. There is no attack or defend. It really is just kind of getting two out of three zones and you win. To get that, you have to get the most power points. To get the power points, you have to pay off points to unlock the characters to put in certain zones. Some characters are worth one, some are worth two, three, four, five, or six. It goes from one to six because there's six rounds. Each round, you get that certain amount of points. But in the first three rounds, the zones get unlocked. So zone one will be New York. Number two, it's it's a Stark Tower or Wakanda. And then number three, it's um, the Danger Zone or, or, some, or the X-Men Campus. And each level has a certain criteria sometimes where it could be things like you can only play things that are four, five, or six or... You can't play here after turn four. And that leads to a little bit more strategy on how you play your game. Because each of your characters could be just like those levels. They could have basic, like, for one, you get one power. Or for one, you get two power. Or one, you get two power. But if it's in the middle, you get three. It, it plays into certain criteria like that where there's a bit more strategy involved. To make things even more fun, there's more characters in here. The more you play, the more you unlock, the more characters you unlock, the more those cards come to you and you can build your own deck. This is the only game I could think of where they can show you all the cards and you're not really paying to play. There is no ads in Marvel Snap, but there and they really encourage you to basically buy gold so you can get variant covers and it's all cosmetic, which is very weird because I, I'm trying to figure out how are they going to make their money? There's no ads in Marvel Snap. There is just an in-game currency and it's mostly cosmetics. You're not unlocking card packs like certain games. You are not really playing to play better. It's all a fair game for everybody, which is also really amazing. I'm very scared because that's telling me that some sometime in the near future, they have to fuck this up, right? They're going to have to have a way to make it more marketable or make it more annoying or more ad-free. If this, by the way, if I have to pay like five bucks for ad-free, I will shell the five bucks. That's how much I love this game. But it is such a quick game where just like every, every like I said over and over again, my favorite kind of games are arcade games. I'm going to probably say that over and over again in this episode. And an average game of Marvel Snap takes about four minutes because it's easy to understand. You get your we shuffle your deck and here's your three cards and here's this and there's that and here's this. And you have to play and it's all luck, just like any card game. And it's all about trying to maximize the most points like a game of war. Get more points over your opponent and you win. I enjoy that so much. Now, originally, I thought, okay, it's going to be a mobile game. And mobile games, I will say, are fun. I will count them in Game of the Years. But most mobile games that are free to play, I don't care for because I think there's always a hook. And I don't think it's like, 
one of those where it's it's I, I don't know if it's hard to explain and I don't want to do it for the game of the year special, but it when you're when you're playing a free to play game, it always feels slimy, especially on mobile, because it's all things that are like wordscapes and uh, here is a like a style simulator or weird dating sims. And I don't want ads. I want I would gladly pay three dollars, four dollars, five dollars for a game that doesn't have ads has had developers in mind with this, has a beginning, middle, and end. I'm okay with that. Give me more games like that. Marvel Snap isn't that. It is an arcade-based game where you're basically playing games against people in unlimited amount of times. This isn't like Wheel of Fortune where they try and like, like lock you in until you pay money. No. They just go, hey, keep playing. No, just keep playing. You lost this time. You, you went down a few XP, but that's okay. Keep playing. And then they'll try and incentivize you. But if you win this game, uh, you get double points. And that means you can get Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange is really cool because you can switch out to any other zone. It's so cool. It is really, really cool. Really fun. And I've had so much. I, I Of all the games this year, it's the one that I've been probably playing the most recently. Mostly because I can play on my couch and not on my computer. But when I'm on my computer, I have also been playing Marvel Snap. I can't get enough of this game. The fact it's free means that you could play it right now. It is on mobile. So if you have an iPhone or an Android, it's there. If you have PC or a Mac, it's Mac available on Steam. You can play it there too. It is addictive and it has been one of those games that I just can't get enough of. So... I have to give a quick shout out to Marvel Snap for being my surprise pick of the year. Because seriously, of every game out this year, I did not see this game come out. I was I was detesting it, thinking, oh, this is just like a get-rich-quick thing. This is Marvel, and it's not even from it. It is an addictively fun card game. It's... It's the kind of game where it's like, I wish, can this be a real physical game? Can we physically get like this game to be real? It has to be a real card game, right? Like I can go over to a uh, game's workshop and buy some credits, right? Like I could, that has been my thought with this entire game. Uh, but the fact it's free to play and you can unlock all the cards, brilliant, smart, lovable. Number nine, Kirby Dream Buffet. Kirby Dream Buffet is Mario Party with Kirby, kind of. I talked about this on the podcast way long ago. Uh, this is this is an anniversary for Kirby. I think they're celebrating 30 years. So congratulations to my favorite pink pollo, Kirby. Uh, Kirby Dream Buffet is uh, the secondary Kirby game, essentially. You know how like there's a mainline Kirby game? like your Kirby's adventure. And then there's always like a secondary title of Kirby that only like diehard Kirby fans or people who just want to play a weird gameplay. And that's your like canvas curse or your air rides where it's not really mainline Kirby, but it's the Kirby character, Kirby fighters, for instance. Um, Kirby dream buffet is one of those. It's not the mainline Kirby game, but it is very fun because all you have to do is munch. 
All you have to do as Kirby is you have to bunch food. And, and you know, that is the simplistic answer of Kirby. Who is Kirby? Shaped like a friend and loves to munch. And in these uh, levels, people compare it to Fall Guys or Mario Party. I would say I would compare it, yeah, somewhat to like, I would say it is more of a minigame collection. Um, it has a mix of Fall Guys. It has a mix of Mario Party. A bit of, uh, a little bit of, uh, what's that crappy fighting thing called? What was, uh, the, the Fusion Frenzy. Oh, Fusion Frenzy as well. So, uh, the game goes like this. You do a race. And as you're in the race, you eat strawberries. And then, and the strawberries are basically your points. Whoever gets the most points, aka the most strawberries, wins. And... In the race modes, you're playing, you're a shrunken Kirby playing on over elaborate Honey I Shrunk the Kid style food. So, one, it might be a burger level. One, it might be pancakes and breakfast foods. Another might be cakes. One could be chocolate. All of these delicious, tasty treats. And you're racing on these little levels that are meant to replicate them as you try to make it across to the finish line to get the most berries at the end because you also get bonus points for eating the berries. And then in round two, it's like a little 10 second, 20 second mini game that could be like whack-a-mole uh, or one of these Mario Party games. They're like in the early ones where it's like eat the blocks and the blocks have the berries and that's it. And you get a little bonus points. Then you do another race. And then in the final round, you play as your big balls and you're supposed to bonk other Kirby's off the set. Uh, so they can lose the strawberries and you can eat the berries. Uh, so it becomes a bit of give and take with the strawberries. And then after that, there is the Mario Party bonuses that they give out. And then they weigh the Kirby's and whoever is the big fattest Kirby wins. And I think that is the cutest damn thing out there. Uh, it is one of the simplest games to understand. And it's also been one of the fun games I played for Nintendo Switch this year. This year, Nintendo Switch has had a great year for its uh, multiplayer games. I think for a lot of people, they will say games like Splatoon this year will be on their list or Pokemon. Now, spoilers, folks, Splatoon 3 and Pokemon are not going to be in my list. I never played those games. I understand people love those games, but I just, I never played them. They're not qualifier. But I have played Kirby's Dream Buffet, and I've had fun with that and replayed those games over and over again. Why? It's a big fat Kirby on a giant hamburger munching food. How could I not hate it? It is so cute. And then I do the cute voice because it's just so cute. I just relate to Kirby because I like to munch. Um, but yes, it is a, it's, it's a very inexpensive game. It's like 20 bucks. It's very forgettable. I don't think a lot of people really talked about Kirby's Dream Buffet unless they're in the Kirby fan community. But I argue it's one of the better games have come out this year. It is a really fun multiplayer game. And I think a lot more people should really give it a look. It's not the best multiplayer game this year but if you're a fan of kirby it's a must buy and if you're a jordan that loves multiplayer games it is addictively fun of course there are other games out there for you to try like splatoon pokemon um 
or even some of the new games that came out in the expansion pass. There's a lot of N64 games now. But for me, Kirby Dream Buffet takes the cake. You get it? Because he's a, he loves to munch and there's a cake. He's creamy and he loves to munch. And he takes the cake because he munches the cake. <laughs> he's going to munch the cake. <laughs> we'll munch the cake. Yum. Escape Academy. Escape Academy is an escape room based video game, obviously. Academy of Escape Rooms. Uh, I think it's from Annapurna Interactive. Um, I have to double check. Essentially, you play a guy who enters an escape room academy, and each sort of room where there's a professor, there's a different mechanic and a different trick on how to solve different escape rooms. Some of these escape rooms take about 10 minutes to solve. Others take half an hour. So your times will vary. Um, along the way, if there is, if you need help, I think there are hints. And that is essentially all you can say about this game. Once you solve the puzzles, that's it. There really is no replayability when it comes to Escape Academy. Now, there is an Escape Simulator game that also came out that I also love and was thinking of putting that in the list between that and Escape Academy, but I think that game came out last year, so it would have been a disqualifier. Um, escape Simulator, same thing, you're going through escape rooms, but that's also done in a first-person mode. Uh, and they keep updating that with some paid and some free, and also you can build your own escape rooms, which I find is a great mechanic. So, yeah, I guess I'm talking about another Escape Room-based game instead of Escape Academy. What makes Escape Academy stand out over Escape Simulator is the designs of these puzzles are very smart compared to that one. When you see uh, the Boiler Room puzzle or the Cafeteria puzzle or the Botany puzzle, they feel more like things straight out of 999. Or Zero Time Dilemma. Which one was the one with the escape rooms? In, in It was on DS. The, you know the ones. Um, so those so those kind of escape roomy puzzle things are really good in Escape Academy. In one of those where it is you are under pressure, the ticking time bomb, you're going, oh shit. And then when you get that aha moment, you're you feel smart. And then what makes it fun is when you solve the puzzle and escape, then they recap in front of you what you had to do to solve the puzzle. As if you were like, oh, I, I, I beat the system. It's like, 
No, we knew because this is what you had to do. First, you had to go into this room. Then you had to open this door. When you open this door, you would see this box. This box would show you this. And this would say that that's what I love about Escape Academy. To make things even kind of um, fun, they did come out with a new DLC pack, I think, called Escape from Anti-Escape Island, which is more of like a... Uh, which is kind of an addition where it's like, oh, it's summer vacation and you're going on an island and now you have to keep solving puzzles. I love it. Uh, there is, it's a lot more clever than it wants to let on. I wish there was more replayability with these puzzles, but I mean, like most escape rooms, you can't replay an escape room. But because of its price which is anywhere between $20 and free if you have Game Pass, it is well worth the price of admission when you consider the price of most escape room-based games out there and going to physical escape rooms, which could be anywhere between $25, $35, $50, sometimes even $100. So it's a nice, cheaper alternative than going to an escape room. And if you're the guy who thinks they could solve these puzzles on your own, it's a real good challenge to be by yourself. And when you're a guy like me, which once again, I'll say I'm very lonely and very sad. It makes playing these games a lot more worthwhile because it's just you versus the game instead of you versus your friends on who is right about entering a four digit code. And that I like. Uh, so please check out Escape Academy where you it's possible. It's a very, very fun game. Number seven, Neon White. If if not completing games is a disqualifier, I deeply apologize uh, because this is a game I haven't completed yet, but I have enjoyed immensely, and that is Neon White. Uh, Neon White came out kind of this summer, and it, at first it looks like a weird, I would say action RPG kind of thing. But the style, the voice, the music feels more like, I would say, like a, a classic anime. It feels like you're in an anime for some reason. And maybe it's because Steve Bloom is the main voice role in Neon White. And that's what's throwing me off. But it works on a lot of levels. So Neon White, it's essentially you're kind of like a Shinigami angel and you have to basically fight the demons who are trying to break into heaven by killing them off. And whoever does the best job, even though you are sentenced to go to hell, will actually go to heaven for saving the day. So you're, it, it's a very fight mechanic. And it's all done in first person where you have different cards that are your weapons, which could be a big anime sword, 
gun, uh, I think a hook, and it just goes on from there. Uh, I enjoy it because it reminds me a bit of Super Hot in the way that it's looked and the way that things throw and your first person run around situation. It gives you that kind of adrenaline rush you want in certain games like this. But at the same time, the music is great. And the fact that they are doing like that Sonic Adventure, let's time out the level and see if you can beat your time and speed run it out. And if you get faster at this and you do your speed run mechanics, you're rewarded. Makes it a good replayable game where even if you're not there to complete the structure and and this is the part where I love it. I haven't really played the game in like two months. So when when I played Neon White, it was back in summer and I loved it. And then I had to take a break. Um, There was a lot of games that just came out and I felt those needed more attention right now. Uh, Those are the Saints Row series. (laughs) Oh, God, that that title. So I played Saints Row and then Gotham Knights came out and I played Gotham Knights. And I was like, oh, well, these are disappointing titles. And then I was like, well, these games aren't really interesting and fun. I don't know why I'm not enjoying them. So I put them down and then I picked back up Neon White and I'm just running around right triggering and slicing people with a big anime sword and then throwing a gun and then jumping off. And then it's like, you made it in one minute. If you can do it in 55 seconds, you get a silver medal. And you're like, yes, I have to redo it now. I think I can. And it's just that kind of fun. To me, that's what I like about Neon White. It's the soundtrack, the voice acting, and just the pace of this game. I don't know that many people really love it so much. They're going to give it a lot of accolades. But for an indie, somewhat indie title, it is a lot of fun to play. And kind of fed that kind of itch that I kind of love in the Devil May Cry series of just like this really irredeemable piece of shit main character uh, going through some hijinks. Jackbox Party Pack 9 is the party game. I usually put this in my uh, game of the year list because the Jackbox Party Packs is always consistently one of my favorite yearly releases. The Jackbox game team are amazingly talented folks. I know so many people there, so there's a bit of bias. But also, on their worst day, it's like really bad improv comedy. And on a good day, it's like things that should immediately be television shows right now because these are really clever game mechanics and funny games and uh, real trivia or icebreaker titles. They're fun for parties, but also aren't just the standard weirdo that wants to play Cards Against Humanity. Every year, we oh, I try to uh, analyze the Jackbox Party Pack games. 
every year it's like there's one that's an improv, one that's a quiz game, one that involves drawing, one that's like a weird like game mechanic game, kind of like a, like a werewolf situation, and then one that's kind of like an out of nowhere kind of game, and they always rotate it around. Um, this time around, Jackbox Party Pack 9 uh, essentially just gave me uh, a new fibbage, and that was exciting for me. Because, uh, me, I love fibbage. It's my favorite of the Jackbox games. Also, drawful, even if I can't draw, because just the ability to bluff is sometimes really funny. Uh, they also had Quicksort, which is like a quiz game where you work as a team, and I love that cooperation kind of thing of go left, go right when it comes to giving answers. Uh, Junktopia is like an improv game where you see weird photos and you try to come up with stories, and that's a bit of improv. Nonsensory is kind of like Wavelength, uh, where you're trying to get a word or a drawing that's kind of somewhere in the middle. And then finally, Rumorang is kind of like you trying to be an improv comedy person. Uh, it's very unique in its ways. Now, the biggest problem with the Jackbox Party Pack games, uh, which I'll say time and time again, is it's not really for people like me. Even though I love this series and I love everything about it, because the Jackbox Party Packs are meant for parties. And you're an antisocial asshole. Yeah, I can barely make people hang out at one spot at any given time. I can't even get a Twitch stream going to get people to play Jackbox games with. So if I'm spending $30, $40, I have no one to play them with. And that's very sad. Uh, this time around, I really barely play them with my friends the one in my it's not that the group chat like pushes me away it's just we really couldn't coordinate schedules but it's the case of you you can't cooperate and plus once again i might have to leave for a moment really hard to get jackbox game started when you have to leave a room you can't really see the things to vote on um but what I have been doing is going to people's Twitch streams if they have been playing it and trying to get in on that. Uh, it's still very slimy because I don't know some of these Twitch streamers. I don't know their sense of humor. So it's very voyeuristic. Uh, but I I try to have fun with them and, and it's still okay because it's still the Jackbox team and still very fun in that regard. I'm glad that people still enjoy Jackbox Party Pack series. The only disappointing thing for me is, once again, you know, you're the lonely guy at the party, so therefore the game's really not for you. Um, but this party pack that they designed was really interesting, very coherent. I think these are the kind of things you need to put in your Zoom call, in your group chat. And the last couple of them, which were kind of during the, I hate to say the pandemic era, but when we were in the pandemic, like in the peak of stay at home indoors pandemic and everyone's on zoom meetings that was when like among us was huge that was when a lot of people played animal crossing and a whole lot of jackbox party pack so my big worry was oh people will be burnt out on jackbox because they have had to play <laughs> like quiplash or they had to be playing like a drawful 
nonstop almost every Friday, Saturday instead of actual games. And they will go insane. And games like this are very fun, unique. And it, it tells me that there's still more creativity in the well. And I'm really excited to see what happens in the in the 10th version. They're going to have 10 of these. This is the 10th anniversary party pack. I'm really excited to see what they do. Uh, and also, uh, I want to be a voice. Can I be a host? Cookie? Can I, can I, can I, look at this. Enter your lies now. There, there you go. See? Look at that. Look what I did there. I could host. Hey, did you like this episode so far? I hope you did. If you want to listen to the other parts, you have to hit... No, no, no. You're actually going to get them. I just want to do a big roll break in the action. Uh, just to remind you about patreon.com slash Jordan Haas. I'm still going to make content over there, even though this is going to be like the last episode of this podcast for a while. Head on over to patreon.com slash Jordan Haas for a fuller version of this podcast. As in this part, we're going to be talking about some of my forgotten games I didn't play this year. Uh, and as a bonus on the Patreon, you'll also get my worst games of the year, which I didn't write down, and I'm just going to ramble about them. But trust me, I have some really bad games I played, and I hope you enjoy it. That being said, I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Number five, Windjammers 2. Windjammers 2 was the big surprise hit for me. I think Windjammers has kind of had a minor internet following for quite a while. For me, here's what I think was the full story. So a few years back, like 2016, maybe, or 2017, I was a big fan of Giant Bomb. I love Jeff Gersman. I love the gang over there. And Jeff was playing old arcade games, and he got out his Neo Geo, uh, like, I think it's a console, and a cartridge of Windjammers. He got the two arcade joysticks, and I think it was a Christmas special or an Unprofessional Fridays. Him and a lot of the Giant Bomb team were playing Windjammers. And it was kind of a very fun thing because they were playing it for a full hour. Uh, pretty much everyone was enjoying because they felt like it's this obscure game no one's really heard of. But it's like Pong, but cooler, almost like a fighting game because of the timing and the rhythm and the kind of things you need to do to create the special moves. Uh, I And essentially, that got the traction of, I believe, Xavier Woods, because he's a fan of Giant Bomb, who then put that on Up, Up, Down, Down. And then that led to things like Dave Lang trying to come up with his own disc-based game for... And, uh, for Iron Galaxy, and it just grew into this sort of somewhat internet cult of 
YouTubers really wanting a Windjammers game. Uh, the original Windjammers really didn't get emulated until maybe like two years ago, maybe? And it, it kind of fizzled because I don't know who owns the rights, but they do own the rights. But what led to it was a sequel, Windjammers 2, uh, from the same development team of the original Windjammers. So it became this really uh, modern Windjammers game that has the same 16-bit graphic of the original Windjammers with online play, a new arcade mode, and... Essentially, they took the same reasons people love the original Windjammers and they kind of expanded upon it in a way that makes it really fresh and really fun. Uh, the same reason I love Windjammers 2 is the same reason I love Rocket League. It's a quick pick-up-and-play kind of game. You can go into online and if someone's there, you and that online stranger could play a game for maybe four or five minutes and then you're done you can rematch and play again and you could repeat the process and i love that sort of it, it it is arcade gaming and as i've said time and time again on this uh, podcast so one genre if you can put in air quotes genre of game i really love is that of the arcade classic the game that you just play for a few minutes have a big smile and then you can replay again your fighting games, your Windjammers, your Ticket Redemption games, because it's still me. Uh, but yes, so when I got Windjammers 2, it, I, I got it on uh, Game Pass. It was available on Game Pass. I don't know if it still is as of the time of this recording. But uh, what happened was uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the, 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 the incident happened with Microsoft and... I can't play Xbox games right now, but I really want to play Windjammers 2. And then I realized, wait a minute, I haven't given him the money and support this fantastic game title, Windjammers 2. Uh, if you love what essentially is a fast-paced Pong fighting game thing where there's little things for three points, little corner spots for five, and different layouts and different goals... In its own unique sports structure, I think you will love it. Because to me, Windjammers 2 is everything I kind of want in a classic video game. And I hope you guys find some way to pick it up. Rather, it's through the Game Pass store or if it's on Steam, which it is right now. Because you guys got to really check out uh, Windjammers 2. Have a little tournament with friends. You could do that, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. Number four, Arcade Paradise. If we gave out awards, like actual awards, uh, we don't because money is tight. Uh, I would try and find Nosebleed Interactive and give this studio the award for the best soundtrack of the year. Arcade Paradise, even if you don't want to play the game, I suggest you go to Spotify or Apple Music or any of the places where you can listen to music streaming-wise and see if you can listen to the Arcade Paradise soundtrack because it really is one of the most clever soundtracks ever made. 
it's a real intricate detail to the music and the lyrics and how it juxtaposes to what's going on in the game itself. This indie game, basically, you play as a, like, out-of-college college dropout who basically takes over your dad's laundromat. And at first, you're confused because it's called Arcade Paradise, but it's mostly a laundromat managerial simulation. But what you eventually realize is that it has deeper meaning. It's the uh, it's the big fight we all have in life between uh, doing the fun thing, creative things we want to share, which in this case represents the arcade and all the fun and creativity of arcade games, the vibrance, the lightness, and then the dull f realities of whatever is our real side job that we have, the boring worlds. Maybe we work in cubicles, or in the case of Arcade Paradise, maybe we're just doing laundry. And the frantic behavior between juggling your arcade games and doing the laundry in the middle parts, which is the grinding aspect of Arcade Paradise, is what makes this game really stand out. Uh, as the game progresses, you find out more about your character and this essentially antagonistic father of yours, which makes the game very fun. Now, the games themselves are essentially <laughs> just uh, arcade games you have seen before. Uh, there is, uh, you know, like, like a fake DDR or a fake, uh, version of, uh, of Bust-A-Move. There's, there's a one, uh, it, it basically is, is just arcade games and generic things. Like, you've played Super Hexagon before, there's a fake Super Hexagon in there. There's a fake Asteroids, a fake Pong. And it's very fun how they do these sort of games that are clearly homages to popular arcade titles, but ideally aren't really uh, what you want. Uh, so, theoretically, you're supposed to be playing these games to boost up the amount of hype on this cabinet so then people can come in and then you can raise the prices and make money. Those money goes towards buying new arcade games. But along the way, there are different little uh, objectives that if you complete them also boost the, the value of the cabinets. And then in the grandeur of the arcade slash laundromat, for instance, get five loads at the same time or get a high score in this game, uh, you get British pounds, which in turn uh, unlock special features that make the game a little easier for you when it comes to grinding it out. Uh, such as uh, better reach on picking up trash, uh, to uh, ways to control time a bit more, so that way you have more time to play games while you're waiting for laundry, because the quicker you get the loads out, the more money you make because of the bonuses. It's a real... Um, it's a real perfect explanation of, like, I think most gamers of, our, like, our age, at least the ones who I think are listening to this, I don't know how many kids are listening to this, who are probably parents right now, who also want to juggle in some game time. For me personally, uh, this is the kind of thing where it, it, it's personal because, as many of you know, I'm taking care of my mom right now. Uh, she's not sick. It's just that she is, uh, she has kyphosis, and she can't really walk that well or move that much. So she's stuck in a chair most of the day. So I have to run around, get food and stuff. 
And then there are days where it's the, I'm going to start a podcast or I want to play a game, but then boom, something bad happens to her. I have to put everything on pause and go take care of that. So a game like Arcade Paradise really hits close to home to people like me. And I think it also goes to anybody who's like, boy, I want to play games. I want to do this. I have this fun idea and I never really get the chance to it because you know, your parents are forcing you to go into whatever is the dumb, boring thing, because that's what makes the money, and I'm looking out for you situation. So for me, Arcade Paradise, it's such an emotional game, but at the same time, it's such a really stupid game about Woodman Jr. I There's like a, a bootleg version of Candy Crush called Wood Girl, and you're supposed to make food, the funniest thing about it is just like seeing these creatures go yum and, and that just brings a big smile to my face uh it's not the best game because obviously some of these games the the ddr thing isn't really synced well but what i have found very exciting about arcade paradise had to have been essentially this music soundtrack now i hate the jukebox isn't defaulted you have to basically run over and unlock the songs and play it. Otherwise, you get the and it's very annoying. But I think they really want you to hear the uh, the arcade soundtracks because almost every one of these games has their own custom soundtrack attached to it. But uh, I say this is one of the better arcade games out there. I want more DLC packs to come with it, and I think that uh, this is uh, a makings for a really cool idea that they could uh, try and get little... If they could try and... I'm not going to say reboot it, but I would say, like, take this and then uh, ask indie developers to come up with their own unique arcade games. They could come up with a really cool sequel to this uh, because I love the message this game tells, and the uh, final part in this game, actually, I don't want to spoil it, but the big reveal at the end is actually put me to tears. I don't really cry in video games, but the sentimental reasons the developers of this game created it uh, makes it uh, very worthwhile. So that's why I really love Arcade Paradise. <laughs> hesitant to put Atari 50 on this list because essentially it is a game compilation and those games compilation things come out every situation every year but Digital Eclipse had one of the best years in in probably history when it comes to these collections they made a a, a new I'm putting new in air quotes because it's a fake NES game based on the Garbage Pail Kids. They came out with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cowabunga Collection 
the must-have collection for anyone who loves the Ninja Turtles games because they have the NES, the Super Nintendo, the arcade games in one big pack and all sorts of different brochures and ads for these games and the brochures and the manuals physically from the Genesis in the game. Additionally, Atari 50 also has similar things, but instead of falling into the if you love Ninja Turtles, it's more of you have entered the big museum of video games. And Atari 50 is, and this is why I'm putting it in here, the reason it is so good is the fact that this is more so an interactive museum exhibit than a game collection. Midway Arcade Treasures is a game collection, one of the best ones out there. Things like um, Activision Anthology has came out, and those, that was fun to play on like the GBA, but it's not necessarily the same appeal as this. You could play compilation games. Nintendo has done the three-in-one with the 3D Mario games, but it takes a lot of courage, a lot of production, and a lot of research to make what Digital Eclipse did with Atari 50. It's a celebration of 50 years of Atari, but more so it is a documentary as it progresses. You go through, I think, five chapters in Atari's life, and it starts in the early arcade days of when Pong got started, and they came out with all these new games like Missile Command, and then it goes into the Atari 2600. It goes into the game crash. It goes into their revival with the 7200, the Atari Lynx, the Atari Jaguar, and then what ultimately sank the company. And then it goes into the people who work in the industry today and what their homages were to Atari and why it's so important. So the Atari collection is more so celebrating unique challenges that Atari faced and unique inventions that happened in Atari. Now, you can't get a trackball in, in the game, so you can't really play Centipede the way they wanted to play. There is no online play for Super 8, so you can't really understand why eight people can play the same arcade game at the same time is such a cool idea. But the fact that they included those games, the fact they're trying to describe it, the fact they got some developers, creators, and whatnot, and then in later, when the game is near the end, they have collabed and elaborated and made unique versions of Breakout, uh, unique versions of Tank, and a version of Haunted House that has jump scares in it, and I don't like jump scares, so I don't play it. But they made like a fun, like silly haunted house game as well. Uh, so they're trying to show off like, hey, Atari kind of got into survival horror before everyone knew the genre. And it, it, it tells stories. And no game compilation in the past has really been effective in telling stories about these games. There are the games. But then there's the stories of the importance of these games and the fact that we are now in this game preservation fight. We're in this fight for history of gaming. We want to preserve the same way we try to do movies and television and have big archival museums. Atari 50 is a somewhat of a mini version of an Atari museum for audiences to get a hold of, and for the price, it is well worth it. It is a Netflix documentary mixed with a game compilation mixed with 
uh, just amazing games that I don't think people even remember that much. I know a lot of people talk about Minor 2049er as a big influence. Food Fight, for me, was one of my favorite games because guys had experience needs ice cream. Uh, it is such a fun game compilation, and I, I think the more you, you invest not just your money, but your time in this, the more you can appreciate video games. Because I, I hate to sound like it's like a game professional, like, you're not a real gamer unless you play this game. But the way that they presented Atari 50, it feels like a textbook on the history of this one company. They go into the highs, they go into the lows, and they're not afraid to say some silly stuff. And you get brochures just like a Ninja Turtles game. You get commercials like the Ninja Turtles game. It's just, I hate to say perfect because I don't think anything's ever perfect, but a very perfect time capsule of Atari and its importance. I wish you could get trackball games in the dial games in there instead of the 3D. I wish there were more games available, but IP rights are obviously a pain in the ass. But they could easily have done DLC and talked about Activision. Or they could have got uh, the rights to E.T. and have the Atari 2600 E.T. game show up because to me that was like oh if only they had that oh if only they did mm. but for what they have and for their explanations they did the best they can with what they had and they were still effective in telling a really amazing story about a game console and what happens is basically when programmers and creativities fight with business people look what happens and it's something that i think is resonating more and more with uh, I guess my generation and younger generations, the ones that are creative, but then business people are getting in the way of that. Uh, Atari 50 is a very, very exciting and addictive game. Uh, if you have friends, come on over and, and play games with them. They will probably enjoy it, especially in, in just the novelty of like what some of these games were. Number two, Vampire Survivors. Game of the Year is the weirdest time because usually the fight over what's Game of the Year is always a triple A title. It's the, oh, what's the best game? It's Elden Ring. It's God of War. It's it's all these big $80 games on consoles. Rarely is it PC. And if it is, you need like the top of the line, like video card and it's it's going to mess up your memory and i to me it, i understand the appeal because it's what's the game of the year that could best describe everything i don't see game of the year as that i don't think what's the best video game should be game of the year i think a game of the year should be what is the game that best encapsulates video games of the year as in like this is if we're going to pinpoint it in, in like a game it's this what is the bioshock infinite the borderlands of the year if we're going to call favorites then obviously i'm going to pick favorites but 
I think the winner should be Vampire Survivors. And that's why I want to talk about it here, because it is one of my favorite games that came out this year. And it should be a game of the year over Elden Ring, over God of War. Vampire Survivors looks and feels like a game made in Game Maker or RPG Maker. It's so rudimentary, so crude. Just sprites, and the whole game is basically just avoidance behavior. You go around, you have weapons, and you have to avoid the enemies while still in your offensive, have a trigger at the time to knock out the enemies. You never hit a button to fire your weapon. You're just moving the WASD D controls or your controller stick. That's it. <laughs> There's, it's the simplest of controls. And as you defeat certain enemies, you unlock treasure chests, which give you gold, which can give you more power-ups. It's a roguelike, which means as you defeat enemies and XP loads up, you unlock new weapons and new defenses and new things, and it, and it grows your character that over time, you just become an immortal god. And about midpoint in the game is when the game gets really screwy crazy and it has really cool visual effects, really cool soundtracks. And it just, it, it was one of those games that, yes, you know, it's a video game, but there's like, I, I don't want to say like a translucent state or, or some sort of transient thing. The same reason, like when some people play Geometry Wars on the Xbox 360, it's like they're so zoned in on the game that they forget everything around them. That's the kind of effect I think Vampire Survivors gives on people. And to me, that's what I really love. It's the fact that this is a crude indie title made by, I think, one person in the entire world made this game. And it obviously took years of his life to make. And it just came out. It's still a work in progress slightly, but it has developed a cult phenomenon it has made people play this, and now there's all sorts of like automatic shooting games out there that are trying to capitalize or probably were in the same process as Vampire Survivors to try and uh, essentially uh, make make some money off a successful thing. Kind of like uh, how Player Knows Battlegrounds was Battle Royale, and then everyone did a Battle Royale game. Vampire Survivors is that with this automatic shooter based system. Only difference is it feels like a Castlevania game. It's like you play as a vampire guy or you play as the death reaper or you play as like a woman with like a mage woman. And it's all these different sprite characters and you unlock new characters and those characters have different weapons and you just can replay it over and over again. Some games you're done in like four minutes because it's an endurance title. Others, you they're trying to like every. 10 minutes they're trying to kill you in this game or toy minutes try to kill you up to the full like half hour i think is like the max they want to get you at before they're really like we're just going to get the heavy duty enemies to try and kill you if you like things like serious scene where there's hordes and hordes of enemies on the table you will really love this two-dimensional vampire survivors game and the soundtrack is so kind is so cool. I, I, the soundtrack is one of the other coolest titles this year because it just it feels like gaming. I think that's the best way to describe Vampire Survivors. It's a video game ass video game. It just you play it and you're like, yep, this is a video game. 
and it's not trying to go into heavy-handed narrative, even though there's a really good narrative now written by uh, James Stephanie Sterling, and they do a great job with this story with some of the fun features about some of the characters like the witch. Uh, there is amazing uh, levels in there because it's very horror-driven, but no jump scares, no spooky thing. It just feels like exactly what you want to play on Halloween. It feels like a perfect game for Halloween. It feels like a perfect like late-night game. The problem with Vampire Survivors is, and I think this is where they get you, you unlock the gold like it's a Flash Newgrounds game. And then you say those those three magic words. One more game. One more game. I could do it. One more time. One more time. And sure enough, you're now up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 5 a.m. playing the same game because you lose track of time. I don't own a Steam Deck, but I almost guarantee this is one of those must-play games on a Steam Deck because of its control scheme, the way it looks, and the way you can take it with you. I think this is a, one of those perfect games that if you had a Steam Deck, you download it, you play it, and you can take it with you like at the coffee shop, in the library, at work, in your break, because it has just enough time for you to get just a little bit of grinding in there. And even if you max everything out, unlock every character, unlock every weapon and do anything you can, there's still more for you to discover, more fine things to do, and just more replayability. Even if you max everything out, which I haven't, I do not complete this game, but it's such a fun, addictive title that I think deserves the attention. One, indie title, great story of the indie guy who spent years of his life making a title, and it becomes a cultural phenomenon. We, I love Champion the Underdog in that. Two, the game itself, the game mechanic of the automatic shooter and now we have all the clones, similar to PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. Three, it doesn't need to look like it has like 4K graphics and you need to get a 4090 to play it. It looks cheap as fuck, like a Game Maker game that you can actually probably play it on like a Windows 2000 and still have fun with it. And in five or four, I don't, I lost count. It's the fact that there's replayability over and over again that makes it so addictive and so much fun that you could do this. You could play it. You can beat this. That's why I really love Vampire Survivors. The fact it's also like $4, $5, sometimes 3 2 or $1 makes it worthwhile. I think it's on Game Pass, but trust me on this. Buy the game. I know it's on Game Pass, but please buy this game. Maybe it'll be off Game Pass or maybe it won't, but this is one of those games you need to keep hanging with you because I'm sure in one year, two year, three year, ten years time, this is going to be one of those games you're just going to come back to one day and go like, well, I want to check out this game, and then you'll get addicted to it yet again. Because to me, that is the kind of pull Vampire Survivors has. It's the Geometry Wars of this generation, and I love it.
Number one, Kirby and the Forgot Kingdom. And the Vilken King. Kirby and then the Frightened Camera One King. And the I'm being a bit sentimental over this one. Uh, Kirby and the Forgotten Land. I'm almost positive it's going to be my game of the year. I don't know yet. I'm Basically what I'm doing is I'm recording every title that I love and then picking my 10 best and then that's what's coming up on this podcast. But it has to be Kirby and the Forgotten Land currently. That that has been the game that I, I, I think lingered on me the most this year. Now, easily, it's not going to be someone's game of the year. I 100% believe it's going to be Elden Ring or it's going to be something like God of War or The Last of Us Remake. It's going to be one of these titles. It's not going to be Kirby. Why would it be Kirby? Kirby is not one of these titles. Kirby is just a open world platforming game and it's a game that it doesn't really have a strong enough narrative it's kirby it's poyo um but it is the best-selling kirby game as of this recording um i've talked about kirby games on the podcast before kirby has been my one of my favorite characters in video games when i would it's celebrating 30 years this year so i think it's very fitting that on an anniversary year a game like this comes out and people love it uh i know people are gonna feel that same way about sonic uh because of uh the sonic game that just came out they felt the same way about uh link to the past they felt the same way about not link to the past uh uh the, the super mario odyssey uh in breath of the wild all these certain games like Switch, the Switch Nintendo library has been really good, essentially. But on Nintendo, like Mario's anniversary year, Mario Odyssey came out. It was a big celebration of Mario. This is a celebration of Kirby. Uh, Kirby has been my favorite character. I remember being a kid, like kindergarten-ish, pre-K, that young, and friends had Kirby on their Game Boy, classic Game Boy. And I, I saw it and I was like, I love this Kirby. This is cute. And I wanted Kirby. But I got Genesis instead. Because uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, but Kirby has been a great character. I play a lot of Kirby games. When I was in high school, Super Nintendo emulators played Kirby. Uh, Game Boy emulator played Kirby. I'm not the best at Kirby. I, I'm... Jack uh, played Kirby games on his stream once, invited me over to show up and talk about Kirby. That was great. Thank you, Jack, again. But it, it, it is one of those amazing Kirby... Because Kirby is my Mega Man. It's a platformer based on you eat enemies and then you take their powers. So a volcanic enemy, you get fire powers or ice powers or sword powers. And it's all these cute little redesigns of Kirby. And I think those are very cute. Then, of course, you know, Kirby right back at you cartoon came out. And it's Kirby is the experimental character. In fact, Kirby's design was experimental. They had just a circle because they did not know how to. Des they just has a placement before they came out with the real character design. And they just decide eh, keep the circle. And I think that is true to Kirby. It's a work in progress. And in the anniversary year, we're seeing Kirby become a light bulb we're seeing kirby become a vending machine and kirby become a car mouth with the car mouth kirby uh which is funny is is like kirby can't eat the whole car it's it's a very cute sort of way to look at kirby um i i think it's such an enjoyable 
series. When we look at Kirby games, it, not a lot speak out. It's like, what, the Nintendo game, Kirby Adventure 3, uh, Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland, which was just uh, Kirby's Adventure 3, I believe. Uh, you had Kirby 64 for Americans, Kirby's Air Ride, and that was about it. Like, most of the games were DS titles. And this is a full-on console-based Kirby game where you play as Kirby and you puff up and you float around or you see an enemy, you eat it, and then you get the power and then you can throw it in there and then you free waddle Ds. It is such a classic video game. This is what reminds me of Mario 64. When people love Mario 64, it's that get as many Mario, like get as many stars as you can in speedrun. I bet people do this with Kirby in Forgotten Land, with collect all the Waddle Dees. Because that is like the currency of the game to unlock the bosses, and then you meet the bosses, which is kind of like the Bowsers. And then after you beat most of the bosses, then there's an even harder version of the boss stages. And then you get into more and more cerebral and body horror kind of characters, which is always funny because you think Kirby, you think the cute little pink puff puyo and all the fun and fan art, which I love. The Waddle Wednesdays, as it were. And then you see like what Marx looks like and you're like, holy shit, what is this? Ah, it's creepy but very fun. I've had so much fun with Kirby. The soundtrack is great in Kirby and Forgotten Land. The the controls are fantastic. The world building, going from like a deserted beach to going to an abandoned amusement park to going to a shopping mall. It's, it's so fun. And I've had so much fun playing Kirby games that it, it brought a big smile to my face. It, this is a game that I, I hate this. I, I, once again, I feel like this is just one of those weird, not really editorial words, but it made me feel like a kid again. Like, not a lot of games do that. You, I, I play them, and I'm just in this sort of, you know, you're an adult, so you're in a critical, negative, why is this here? But Kirby, it was like, I'm like back in middle school. I'm back in elementary school. Kirby, yes, this is what I love about Kirby games. This is so cute. Go Kirby. And just having a big smile on my face, even if some of the bosses are ridiculously hard. Uh, it's one of those things where it might be challenging and the, probably to get the gold medal and, you know, don't get hit by the boss. It's still a very fun challenge where you don't have to do it if you don't want to but if it does you're rewarded for it i know we talk about like things like elden ring because it's too hard oh boy but kirby it could be hard if you want it to be it could also be easy if you want it to be this is a game that is accepting of everybody of all skill levels and i think that's what i love most about this this could be easily playable for first timers who are in elementary school, all the way to somebody that wants to get like the S rank in every mission to beat the game as fast as they can. No, don't get hit by an enemy. Use only the sword ability. That kind of thing makes it so much fun. And yes, Kirby still remains very cute, very puffable, very lovable. When it comes to games this year, if we're going by what is game of the year that's my favorite, 
it is Kirby in the Forgotten Land. It's Mission Abilities, Ethelin, Waddle Dee, Professor Waddle Dee. Like, all these characters are just lovable, and you want to hug them. You want to see what this world really is. And it plays like a classic Super Mario World kind of video game. And it does a fantastic job of creating Kirby in the space and what is Kirby in the outliers and Kirby wanting to go back to it to planet pop star and just uh hang out it's so fun I hate to say fun I think I'd probably say fun probably a thousand times in this but the Kirby game remains to me my favorite game this year i know a lot of people say other games 100 without a doubt they're going to say Elden ring they're going to say last of us they're going to say all sorts of situation games but kirby to me meant the most <laughs> this year and if we're going to go by which game meant the most to me jordan it's kirby because it's a game that brought me back to why i love video games and why i love kirby and why Certain games are the way they are, and they don't have to be anything more than just complete the game and you're done. When you're done with Kirby, you could sort of play mini games like a fishing mini game or battles, but it's not afraid to say goodbye. And that's what I think is is missing in a lot of modern games. They want that replayability. And Kirby... I think it just knows if you want to play it again, you will just restart from the beginning and do it all over again. We don't need to do anything special. And I like that about this game. I love the fact it's willing to just be a video game and that's it. Just, to me, it is so much <laughs> in in the exciting world of, of Kirby and Nintendo and video games that I have to give it game of the year. It's the to me the best game because <laughs> as someone as cynical as me can fall in love with Kirby again. That's what I love about it. And the fact it's on Switch, which is portable, the fact that you can play it on TV and get the same kind of experience as when you play it like on your Elgato or on the mobile, it's good. It's so good. It's so it's lovable. And not a lot of games do that anymore. And I'm glad of all games this year, it's Kirby. I know people are going to say, well, well it sucked because the ice ability in this level or, oh, well, the bosses were too easy, but I don't care. To me, if this is my game of the year, what was the game that meant the most to me? Because that's the big definition we have. Is it the game that gave the lasting impact? Is it the AAA title that is so cool? Or is it just the game that meant the most to the person voting? If it's that, then it's going to be Kirby. To me, if this is the Jordan podcast, it's going to be what did I find the most impactful for me. And that's Kirby. And... I think that this is a game that when I get very sad again, or there are going to be more days where I'm blue, I know for a fact I should most likely open up my Switch, get this game, and just play it for a few minutes, because it will definitely cheer me up. Because I think Kirby has that effect on so many people. As embarrassing as I might say on a public podcast like this, Kirby means a lot to me, and... 
they didn't do a bad Kirby game. It's not an experimental Kirby game, like, unless you're counting Carmouth features as the reason. They just did a video game with Kirby on the Switch in 2022 to celebrate 30 years of Kirby, and it's great. It's a great Kirby game. And for that, I say thank you, Kirby. And I'll once again, Poyo! Poyo, Kirby. Poyo. And that is going to do it for this year's final episode of the podcast with Jordan Haas. I'm honestly going to be sad. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this game of the year list. Uh, I know it's a weird episode. We didn't really cover much of anything else. Uh, I'm going to try and reformat this podcast so it's not seven and a half hours long a week. Uh, because I figure you want more shorter episodes. I think we all agree shorter is best when it comes to listening to my voice. Uh, but uh, head on over to patreon.com slash Jordan Haas for an extended cut of this episode where I will be talking about the worst games and some of the games I missed this year. And essentially just everything else, because let's face it, there's too many games that came out this year and anything else that uh, might be on my mind. But... Before we close up for the week, this is obviously the end of the free tier. Uh, I just want to thank everyone who has listened to this podcast so far and has given me a chance. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, I, I know that in this weird world of content creation, there's hundreds of thousands of people out there, TikTok stars, YouTubers, Twitch streams, you know it. But uh, I'm glad you gave me a chance in this probably not your personal favorite but hey i'm probably in your top 20 50 100 maybe i don't know uh and i hope that you guys uh come back next year when hopefully i can do more of the same and i say hopefully uh there are days when of course uh i'm just at my wits and and just can't do anything else but, uh, hey, you guys give me the strength. You can catch me on all the social medias. I'm typically Jordha on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm on YouTube, at Jordan Haas. I can actually say that now. I'm a part, I have a channel, at Jordan Haas. Uh, that's amazing. I could say that. Um, and you guys will hopefully enjoy some of the content. I've been playing Fall Guys every day just for the sake of fun. See if I could. Uh, probably forget about it sometime in the next month. Uh, and until then, I hope you guys just uh, take care of each other. And, you know, just keep enjoying the stuff you enjoy in this weird world where we have to consume vomit, then consume vomit. This is Jordan Haas signing off. Good night. Oh, shit. <laughs>